You are listening to Unbreakable Success, episode 36. And look, I'm going to cut to the chase real fast and explain to you why you definitely need to listen to today's episode. Because here's the thing. If you're listening to the show, then I'm willing to put my money on the fact that you are a leader in your home, in your career, in your business, or hopefully all three. And that's so relevant to today's episode because our guest is Ron Carucci. He's the best-selling author of Rising to Power, The Journey of Exceptional Executives. And Ron took part in a 10-year study to discover why over 50% of executives were failing within their first 18 months of being in their new position. And what he's going to give to you today is not only the story of why they failed, but the more important story of why the smaller percentage and how the smaller percentage was succeeding. Like what they were doing consistently across the board to drastically improve their chances of success within their organizations. And that's going to help you drastically improve your chances at success within your own organization, whether it's your home, your career, or your business. Ron, in addition to being a best-selling author and author of a total of, I think, eight books at this point, he's a regular contributor to the Harvard Business Review, to Forbes.com. He's been featured in Forbes Magazine, Inc. Magazine, and MSNBC. Uh, Ron is, to, to call Ron an expert in his field would be an extreme understatement. He's been an executive consultant for close to 30 years at this point. So I'm extremely grateful to Ron for sharing his time with with you and I, and I guarantee you, you're going to be glad you listened to today's episode. And as a bonus, you're actually listening at the right time, because if this topic is important to you, then you're definitely going to want to jump in and join a free workshop I just created called The Four Laws of Pure Success. If you want to exponentially improve your chances of success in business and life, In addition to listening to today's episode, you can register for free at your own convenience at aaronkeithhawkins.com forward slash web event. So I'll be happy to see you there and share with you. But for now, let's jump in and share with Ron. Here's Ron Carucci. All right, Ron, thank you so much for joining us on Unbreakable Success. I appreciate you uh, reaching out and hopping on the show with us. How are you doing today? Aaron, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's good to be with you. Uh, I'm, I'm so appreciative. I'm always excited. I have a little bit of a bias to uh, leadership experts like yourself. I have to admit that openly and freely. So when I heard you were were willing to be on the show, I was I was more than stoked. So um, tell me, you're out in Seattle now, correct? I am. Yeah, I'm. I've been here about t- about twelve years now. Beautiful, beautiful. Can, uh, just so for pe- for anybody that doesn't know you, um, can you give us a little bit of your backstory, what you do on a regular basis, and what kind of led you into the work that you do these days. Yeah, that's uh, happy to do that. So uh, me and my colleagues at Navalent, uh, my firm, we get to spend our days in the messy trenches of organizational life with leaders. Right. <laughs> some, of those organiz- some of those organizations are in the early parts of their life. Some of them are old and mature and stodgy. But yes. whatever, point, whatever part of a story we enter, it's usually when there's someone's hit a ditch yeah. or someone's trying to avoid a ditch or someone sees an opportunity they can't quite get after. And so that disruptive transformation that that tumultuous journey of getting from here to there mm-hmm. uh, that's what we help our clients construct um, whether that's strategic whether that's organizational or whether that's leadership um, or some combination of all three uh, our job is to bring to bear the expertise the tools 
<clears throat> and the science behind how to do that and to set them up to do it for their organizations. Wow, that's that's uh, pretty amazing. I know I know you've run the you run the gamut of organizations, if I'm not mistaken, of who you work with, everything from from Fortune 50 all the way down to, to startups and everyone in between. So I'm sure you've had a ton of different experiences with with egos and frustrations and personalities, etc. Am I right? <laughs> Uh, for, uh, yeah, for the last 30 years, I've definitely had my share of sociopaths. Um, so, um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in that season of my career now where I'm sort of like, I want to be sociopath free. I just yes. want to work with leaders who are good hearted, committed, smart, flawed, but yes. want to get after it and want to not leave a wake of bodies behind them when they do it. Yeah, and I, you know, that's a total more reason I appreciate you being here because, as you know, most of the, the audience, the, the listener that's listening to us now, uh, most of us have that entrepreneurial heart, and it's it's pretty cool to see that there seems to be a, a trend where a little bit more, I should say, a lot more authenticity authenticity is showing up in work done by by leadership experts and organizational change agents like yourself. Who can really speak to what's what works now and what really is has become antiquated uh, when it comes to cultural building and cultural change. So I, I appreciate your expertise being here to talk about that. Damn, you bet. You know, Aaron, it's interesting. I think the I think the I think the bar has simultaneously gone up and gone flat. Yeah. I think the more leadership failure we have seen over the last 20, 30 years, the more followers expect expect perfection. Mm. It's a kind of a, it's an unfortunate backlash, but the problem is that, you know, every leader is judged guilty until proven innocent. They're yeah. judged they're judged untrustworthy until proven trustworthy. And so stepping into the stepping into the on the landscape of any kind of leadership um uh requirements is a is a it's it's pretty a ruthless unforgiving job i don't you know i don't envy, envy leaders that have to step especially if they're following an idiot right yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um it's uh it's not an easy job to win the hearts and minds of people who are sitting looking at you yeah waiting for you just waiting for you to screw up and fail them yeah that's 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 a tough uh load to bear i'm curious what what if if anything specific really got you into this from the, from the beginning because like you said you've been doing this for decades was there something that led you into sort of pursuing this uh, this calling and working your way up and becoming and developing these skills? Uh, you know, there's a, I think there's a lot of turning points and pivots I could point to early in my career. I was very fortunate. Um, so <clears throat> early on in my career, um, I uh, my first career was in the arts. So I spent time, uh, you know, in a variety of um, performance ventures. Oh wow! Okay. We were we were. I was working over in Germany, uh, and uh, we had contracts with the U.S. military and the State Department over there to do a variety of multimedia kinds of presentations and workshops uh, on a variety of topics. And we were at Dachau, the concentration camp, and oh, in wow. the chapel, in the chapel of all places. And this is before the Iron Curtain fell. So, in the room were a host of Americans. American military, State Department, American civilians and families, Germans, East and West Germans, because mm -hmm. uh, it was soon to be uh, not the Iron Curtain. Yeah. And and what was interesting was uh, it, it wasn't called diversity and inclusion then, mm -hmm. but but certainly what would have what became a field of how do you, how do we value differences was the sort of the focus of our conversation. And a young soldier in the middle of our program, we were 
having a discussion, raised his hand and through a deeply uh, pained, emotional place, said, I'm just so tired of being trained to hate. Wow. And that it was a, I look back and I know, I, I don't think I appreciated it at the moment how formative of a moment that was for me. Yeah. But in hindsight, I, under, I understand now that what I realized was, um, first of all, something I did and my team did provoked him to think that. So that in and of itself was mm-hmm. extraordinary. But that he wanted to talk about it. And he wanted, yeah. to, wanted to help with that. And that brought me so much life. And I think what I realized then was... You know, telling great stories was all well and good, Mm -hmm. but helping people engage their own story, that was, uh, that was life giving for me. That made my heart beat faster. Yeah. And I think that was a turning point for me as I began to, you know, circumnavigate from where I was to a field where every day I engage a new story. Every engage, I, every day I engage a different story. (coughs) Some of those stories are, in a state of tragedy, some of them are in a state of triumph. Mm-hmm. Some of them are trying to avoid a state of tragedy. Um, but wherever I enter a story, I'm very fascinated by the people who have sacredly and graciously invited me into it, yeah. uh, and the daunting challenges the story faces. And to put the pen back in that writer's hand and say, "Let's write this next chapter and make it go really well." Yeah, I I, I love that. I always always I always appreciate hearing uh, stories like spe- like that, especially one that as powerful as yours, where you know, you can really see the the genesis, or at least one of the the sparks that led to you become so exceptional at what you do. Uh, I, I'd love to I'd love to transition that because you've you know obviously from that time you've spent you know close to thirty years uh, working with executives and leaders and and really trying to be a catalyst to help people alter and and, and create a more positive story wherever they happen to be working, whether it's in a startup or you know, in some high-level uh, C-suite somewhere. And you wrote recently, uh, n- not too long ago, your book, Rising to Power, The Journey of Exceptional Executives. And I- I- I'd love for you to get into this, because that-, that book, if I'm not mistaken, was a result of like a 10-year study on executives and learning uh, how they become exceptional and, what- and some of the common things that you found that they do correctly. And it can really transition to... The, the person listening now in their own business and in their own life, really, uh, because these 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 lessons are really very much universal in, in many ways if we really get to the core of them. Um, but could you touch on that for a little bit for us? Yeah, sure. You bet, Aaron. You know, so that book uh, was quite the journey, but it had a very sad uh, beginning. Mm. It began with a phone call that I received. So we had been part of a wonderful transformational journey of a client for a couple of years. It was very exciting. And during that that season, a, a young leader had um, surfaced and presented himself as quite an extraordinary talent mm-hmm. with significant potential and, and, and great desire to take on more, desire to have greater impact in the organization. And so nobody was surprised at the end of the transformational work when it was time f- for the organization to move into its new world mm-hmm. that he was, given a, he was given a significant opportunity to lead. Um, it was kind of expected. Yeah. So this is about now 10 months after that moment and I see his name in my caller ID and I assume he's calling to check in and say hello and check, tell me about all the wonderful things he's accomplished since then. But unfortunately he was calling to tell me that he'd been fired. Oh, wow. And that he was looking for help networking for a job. I, you, you, I was like being hit with a wrecking ball. I couldn't even believe it. I barely had time to catch my breath when two hours later the CEO of that company called me also to tell me they had let him go. Oh, wow. And 
with a with quite an angry uh, more than just inference that some of the responsibility for his failure was mine for not doing a good job to prepare him wow. for that role and of course that nothing is more devastating to a consultant than to, yeah. to be told that your your client you regard and respect a great deal has laid failure at your feet and wow. so I can I come in? Can I come? Can we come look around? Can I come understand what it is that happened here and why it happened and see what it is? I certainly, if anything else, what I can do differently and better. And he, he let us do that. Well, that investigation is what led to the 10 year study. Mm. Uh, and it turns out that um, that you know, fine young man who has, thank God, gone on to a wonderful career Good. and all, all of his promising talent has flourished uh, to his benefit and to the benefit of many others. Um, but he was just one more statistic of many. It turns out we've known for 20 years that, that leaders given broader assignments to an organization that 50 to 60% of them fail within the first 18 months, and we've known it for 20 years. Mm. Um, we've accepted it as normal. And I was disgusted by that prospect. I could not believe that we've allowed that carnage, that waste, all that missed opportunity, and all those ruined families to just be the new normal. I'm sure the recruiters love it because it's an annuity for them. Right. But, But... But for everybody else, it's just devastating. And I, my partner, Eric, and I, that I wrote the book with, thought, oh, my gosh, we have got to be able to do better than that. Right. I mean, you get better odds on the craft table. <laughs> yeah, um, that's the truth. And these are people's lives, yeah. right? So we thought, Let's, we can figure this out. Surely there, this is not some mysterious force we can't figure out. Mm -hmm. And so that 10-year study that included you know, slightly over 2,700 leaders interviews. And then we, and then we isolated 100 leaders in mid-ascent. We isolated this set of leaders to say, if we could watch this in slow motion mm -hmm. as they're on the ascent to this new altitude, what would we see? Hmm. And as it turns out, Aaron, it's a wonder any of them succeed. The number of landmines organizations put in the way of these leaders is just staggering. Hmm. Um, I went back to that CEO and I said, I will take full responsibility um, for not anticipating the landmines that he was going to hit. You need to take full responsibility for putting them there. Hmm. Um, and he, he was fair about that. Um, but nonetheless, some of them are so ridiculous as to you to wonder, are, are, you know, like, where's your brain? You you just unwittingly set somebody up to fail. Here's mm. an example. So it, we're in a hiring process, um, and uh, a, 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 an HR person or a hiring manager has mm -hmm. in front of them the infamous resume. Yes. <laughs> And they're talking to the person in front of them, and they're saying things like, oh, my gosh, you've turned a supply chain around before. That's what we need. Or they'll say, look at these sales forces you've built. They're so impressive. That's just what we need. Mm -hmm. Or they'll say, my gosh, look at the brands you've built. That's we need brand building. And in that statement, you have sown a tragic seed of failure. Why? What you've told them is you have a formula. And mm. I want you to come here and apply that formula to us. Mm. Well, of course, we and we've watched that. We've all watched the movie play out to its tragic end, right? We come yeah. in, person comes in with this mythical mandate, right, to be to be a savior. Yeah. They start slapping on their formula, um, mm -hmm. and of course, it starts not working. So they slap harder, and then the organization resists more. Mm -hmm. And then we what we what happens is we call their diagnosis becomes an indictment, and mm. suddenly. <coughs> all the resistance they're receiving to their slapdown formula becomes a noose around their neck. And the organization begins to back away from this leader whose mandate to change them and fix them mm -hmm. is being resisted. And 
and the, the tragic is there probably was some great points of wisdom yeah. in that person's track record that they could have drawn from to help the organization they were brought into. But to take it as a blanket set of recipes yeah. that it's before it'll work here when yeah. the context is different, the people are different, the call, everything mm-hmm. is different. What leaders have to understand is you have to let that environment change you as much as you have to change it. It's a two-way transformational street. And if you come in there with some mandate that you have to be the one that fixes them, um, we've all seen it happen. And then, of course, what's the organizational statement? He just wasn't a good fit. (laughs) We've all heard that. We have a million times. Yeah. It's th- that's just one example, Aaron. Uh, we've got fifty of diff- fifty different kinds of landmines like that, where the, the organization is actually constructing the demise yeah. of some otherwise very talented person's career. And these are men and women who have you know earned their right to live on, on broader assignments and on higher altitudes, and they don't deserve to be set up to fail. But but we do it to them. Mm. So. Um, it, it was a painful study, but what, what was heartening to us was it's all avoidable. All of the carnage that caused all of that failure uh, doesn't have to be. We can get after and get in front of that stuff and do it differently in a way that allows far more of those people we invite to bigger jobs to succeed. Yeah, that's, uh, well, that's, that's powerful stuff. You know, I, I think most of us that have but in any organization, we've seen it before, the old, uh, this is how I did it, and so this is how, this is how I did it and worked before, so this is how you're going to do it now, and it's going to yeah. work. And if it doesn't work, because if it doesn't work when you're doing what I did, then you must be messed up. Right. And we've seen it in some context. Most of us have seen it before, but how, how and, and I love this conversation, especially because of how... <laughs> <laughs> how familiar, unfortunately, it probably feels to so many people, either to them personally or someone they know and love and, and care about. Yeah. Uh, how how can we, you know, if, if we can fix this for the people that are listening, that whether it's in their their business or, or their that they're building or uh, a nine to five job that job that they're still in, or them as they're growing a team around them in their entrepreneurial ventures, how do we avoid this these types of of issues based on the research that you've done. Yeah, great question, Aaron. So here, here's the the other good news was this. So if 50 to 60 percent of them were failing, uh, that meant that 40 to 50 percent of them were actually succeeding. Yeah. And so we were able to actually isolate the the A team, um, mm-hmm. and to find out well. So so some of them are are sticking the landing at the higher altitude, and not only are they sticking the landing, but they're thriving up there. Mm. What on earth are they doing? Yeah. to make that happen. Well, the exciting news was there were four very repetitive recurring patterns in the data that over and over and over were displayed by these leaders. The trick was it was all four patterns. If you were good at three of them but not one, you were on the B team. You failed. Hmm. So the da- the staggering I made my I made my research team do 99 different regression analyses on the data. <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't I, I it kept coming back the same way and they finally said it's not going to change. Wow. Um, I didn't want to have to say you got to be good at all four because it sounds like, you know, you got to yeah. be Jesus. And Jesus' job is already taken. Yeah. So, but the but the other good news is this, they can all be learned. Yes. So the first one was context. Okay. These people could read the tea leaves. They knew the industry. They knew the environment around them. They knew that if they entered from the outside, they had to be an investigator. They had to be an anthropologist. They truly had to learn. And when they declared, I'm just going to spend the first three months listening and learning before I do anything, and then when two weeks in, the CEO says, where's your 90-day plan? They didn't blow it all up. They mm. stayed the course, and they really listened and learned. And they understood that while they couldn't go native, 
they did have to adapt, that they just couldn't be the agent and provocateur of change. They had to show and earn trust by adapting. Mm. And, and, and understand that there are some things here that are good that I have to preserve and protect. It's not a wholesale change out. And so reaching back in their careers for wisdom, not formulas, was what they did. They mm. could read the industry. They could read the trends. They could look outside and anticipate things. And they were curious enough to want to learn so they could read context. Um, and that, you know, the example I gave you before of the mythical mandate, that's a classic example of a failure of context. Yeah. I didn't come in and read. I didn't pay attention. I just came in to act. Yeah. Um, the, sec the second uh, of the four patterns was what we call breadth. So th these are people who understood the, the, the parts were, were not as great as, uh, were greater than the sum of the whole, mm. meaning that they saw the organization as one orchestra, not the violin section, the, 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 the brass section, the clarinets. They went from playing first chair to conductor. Mm -hmm. And they understood that the value that any enterprise creates is at the seams. It's not – if they grew up in the sales organization, you know, we've all seen it when somebody grows up in a particular stovepipe. Hello. Yeah. Uh, that's how they see the world. So if you grew up in sales, you see the, you see the world through revenue. Mm -hmm. If you grew up in finance, you see the world through cost. If you grew up in, in marketing, you see the world through advertising. Um, but people who, as you get toward the top of the organization, those narrower perspectives can become liabilities. Even yes. though you have great technical depth, you have to learn to see the whole. Mm -hmm. And so it's at the seams, at the intersections of supply chain and marketing where innovation is created. It's at the seams of sales and marketing and customer service where great customer relationships are created. And these people understood how to stitch those seams, they understood how to work across the borders, um, not start border wars, but actually you know, coalesce the organization rather than keep it divided. Mm. Uh, and they could fix that fragmentation and they could actually create a whole rather than just the parts. Beautiful. The power of collaboration, right? And they could, and they could get people to understand that um, if I sit in supply chain and you sit in marketing, we together yeah. create innovation. Yeah. It's not me or you. It's either both of us or it's nothing. And these leaders understood how to get people to think that way. Hmm. Um, the third thing was choice. These leaders could make the hard calls. Most leaders, um, you know, either either cowboys or cowgirls, they shoot from the hip. They, uh, I trust my gut. Well, what if, <laughs> that's always what if your gut is wrong? Or on the other extreme, you have the you know the analysis paralysis folks who just can't get enough data. Yeah. Um, and by the time they get all the data they really want, the decision has long been long over and been made. Yeah. And so these leaders could blend the right degree of intuition, the right degree of data, and the right degree of other people's voices uh, along with their own to construct the choice at hand. And they weren't afraid to disappoint people. Um, they could say no. Most leaders at the top struggle um, to to alienate people so they dole out way too many yeses and they don't realize that every one of those yeses has a price tag to it yes. and yeah. emerging the capacity of the organization i tell my clients all the time leadership is the ability to disappoint people at a rate they can absorb mm. um, and if not willing to do that you shouldn't be leading yeah. you know we expected in our research uh, we had a, a fairly good substance substantial part of the focused on on the issue of power because it's such a a, a a lightning rod topic. And we assume we would find all the classic abuses of power for self-indulgence, for self-interest, um, you know, morality issues. And certainly all of those issues were present in the data, but, but that, those were not the greatest abuse of power that we found. Hmm. We were shocked to find that the greatest abuse of power was not it's a, uh, for self-interest, but abandonment. 
wow. people were afraid to use the power that came with their role, and they didn't, so they stepped out. They wow. let go. And so, you know, the, the challenge for most leaders today is not to harness the power. Uh, they're so afraid of being seen as power mongers, they don't, they don't exercise the power at all. And they don't appreciate that with, with that power comes great responsibility to right injustices, to allocate resources fairly, to, to narrow the focus of the organization on the, on the most important priorities, and to, in fact, say no mm -hmm. to even really good ideas so that people, everybody can succeed. And though these leaders could use that power well and make great and very hard decisions. Mm. And the last thing they did, um, probably the most difficult one, is these are, you know, every company has the people that everybody wants to work for, right? Yep. Everybody wants to go, they're, they're likable, they're trustworthy, you know they care, um, they're smart, they're talented, and the people above them, alongside them and below them, all hold them in greatly great high regard. Well, that's these people. They in, so intentionally invested in relationships. Um, mm. They uh, and you knew that your success mattered to them. The questions they asked, the way they spent their time, the sacrifices they made for other people, whether they were peers, direct reports, or bosses, making other people successful was a really important thing to them. They listened deeply. They asked for feedback. They wanted to know how how does how do my choices impact you. Mm. Uh, and they and they were very intentional. They knew who their most important stakeholders were, and they prioritized those relationships ahead of others. Yeah. So relationships, choices, context, and breadth. Um, yeah, they sound like four really, really big things to do. But if you if you're early enough in your career, you can learn them all. And then when you get, you know, your organization grows to a big thing, and you're now going to be the CEO, or you're already getting a bigger job, you can thrive. But that those were the four things that the people in this study did that set them apart. Wow. That is so, Ron, that's so powerful. You know, and I think, <clears throat> I know for me, um, it's it's one of those things, that, and, and I loved reading your, your work and, and hearing about this because I, I, I'm hoping that for many people listening, it, it kind of adds, um, it, I kind of put some validity on some things that they may or may not have, have recently read or heard or understand or just felt to be right in their gut. Because, I mean, if, if we dumb it down, these are things that that most good-hearted people know that they need to be doing. Like, we know, you know, you and I know that we really need to develop good relationships if we're going to be successful wherever we're working in whatever context. I mean, that's just, you know, businesses are about human beings and, you know, making sure they succeed within the organization, making sure our consumers are succeeding, our clients are succeeding. So, and actually caring about what happens to these people and to see that as one of the one of the biggest keys that that helped these executives succeed and and consistently, um, I think it's I think it's pretty that's pretty powerful and, it, and it's it's good to hear. Uh, that well, this is we, what were, we found we were so proud and humbled um, when our research was named by Harvard Business Review as one of 2016's ideas that mattered most. Wow. Um, that the, we, we, I, was, I was totally caught flat-footed when we got the response that we did, but uh, wow. hundreds, hundreds of thousands of people had very strong reactions and very positive reactions to the data. Yeah. So clearly, it, it, it struck a nerve, right? Clearly, it resonated as, yes, these, these are the four things I have seen in the leaders I want to follow, and it's their absence that I've seen in the leaders who yeah. have, fa have failed me. Um, so, and, you know, yes, they're, they're difficult in yeah. aggregate, but they're learnable. 
Um, yeah, absolutely. They're not learnable if you just if you to your point about before about relationships. If you just think about it, you're not going to learn it. You yes. actually got to do it. <laughs> it. Has to be done. It, 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 that, that brings me to the point that the the decisions to uh, the decision making process and what you said earlier about realizing that you're going to have to say no to some really good ideas. You know, I, I don't think there's an entrepreneur out, entrepreneur out there that isn't inundated with either their own or someone else's ideas of what they should yeah. be doing. And it's it's absolutely impossible to do all the really good ideas that you want to that, that we want to implement. So we have to be able to say no, 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 no. This is the lane I'm going with now. And, you know, yes, maybe eventually you'll be able to get to some of those other things. But if we try to say yes to everything, you know, that that you can almost picture uh, the, the person in, in an office somewhere with things scattered everywhere and they're trying to you know, multitask and work on 10 different things because they just won't push some things aside and, and yeah. pick one I, important thing to do. You know, Aaron, I think I think for every entrepreneur I've ever met, no is one of the most agonizing yeah. words to say. They just yeah. can't do it. Yeah. And and what they don't realize is that they're, they're slowly presiding over their own demise. Yes, yeah. yeah. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, um, or, or the worst version of that is they're saying no to everybody else's ideas and yes to all their own. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. That's the, that's the flip side to it. <laughs> Absolutely. Either and, and there's a balance there, right? Because there are a ton of you know, especially when it comes to learning something new. Because uh, I know my inbox gets filled up with all these different, you know, the newest technique, the newest sales funnel. Uh, this program, that pro- program. This is how I made x amount, x amount of dollars, and this is how. You know, I made this much money, and this is how you need to do this. And while they all may have worked for that one person, nobody can do all of them. Right. So it's really important, and depending on the context of, of your own business or your own organization, that you choose what's right for the mission of that business and organization. And, and sometimes that's, that's not always clear, which really comp- makes it really important yep. to compound what you've been talking about. Because if you have the good relationships, then you can discuss with people that you trust what might be the best decision and what what should where the yes should come from. And if you know the organization broadly, as you said, you know it's going to help you understand what the the correct yes might be. And if you take the time to you know to learn the culture of of your business and or develop one if there's not one already then it really clarifies those things. It sound these things that you've discussed, Ron, are definitely they sent they they help each other they they're almost a, they're co- they're collaborative effort in and of themselves if we can discuss yeah. these principles as if they are people they they work well together don't they well in fact i actually in the book what we say is this is one thing not four mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. you can't you cannot be contextually smart without good relationships yes can't make good choices without uh, knowing the organization's yeah. impact Course, yeah. right so they are highly synergistic with each other yeah. and work very much hand in glove and so while you can learn them in in, in parts they yeah. have to be enacted as a whole yeah yeah I, I, I can definitely see that I'm sure everyone listening uh, listening to us uh, now can can definitely see how how important these are not in their own silos but definitely collaboratively and, and I can understand <laughs> why as your your researchers were coming to you with these results and you you wanted to have them keep rerunning the numbers that you needed all four to truly be one of those executives that were succeeding consistently and uh, thanks to your explanation I can understand why mm-hmm. so definitely uh, definitely appreciated if if uh, ladies and gentlemen as you're listening if you if you haven't read this book yet. It's called Rising to Power. 
The Journey of Exceptional Executives. You can grab it on Amazon. It's literally flat-out five-star reviews from everyone that's read it. Uh, so do yourself a favor. Pick this up on Kindle or, or get a hard copy of it and give it a read. Regardless of what you do for a living, it's, it's really important things to know. Ron, I appreciate you sharing this with us. This is, this is important, really important things for helping us learn how to, regardless of whether we're executive or we're working solo, these are things that are ring true in any uh, organization, regardless of size. I, I couldn't agree more, Aaron. I think, uh, I, you know, I wish, I wish um, we could make it required MBA reading for yeah. Uh, for people who are being shaped to be tomorrow's executives, for them yeah. to be able to en- engage this and, and begin their own journey of developing these early on, it's you know so often I think many entrepreneurs who who for good for good reason know themselves well enough to know that they didn't want to be in a, a larger corporation, so they chose mm-hmm. the solo the solopreneur life or the entrepreneur life. Um, and so I, it, one of the one of the un- unfortunate many flawed assumptions that I think startup leaders bring is that they think this stuff is just for big corporate America. They don't think it applies to them. And, you know, to you used an example before that it was really important well, about strategy, right? So mm-hmm. how often I hear from entrepreneurs, um, well, we're too, we're too small for that strategy stuff. We're just, you know, the, we, that's all big company stuff. Yeah. And oh my gosh, <laughs> I, I want to shake them and think, oh, you don't understand what, you know, what the damage you're doing to yourself by thinking yeah. that. Um, and they and so that because until until you can tell me what you've said no to, you don't have a strategy. Yeah, yeah. And whenever I ask them, show me your strategy. They give me their their Series B um, business plan, or mm-hmm. they give me their mission statement, or their value statement, or they give me their vision, or they give me their product quota, or they give me their uh, their orders from the sales. Mm-hmm. You know, all of which are. Uh, poor counterfeits for a strategy, you know. But for for the you know for the manufacturer in the United States, when Costco calls, that's the strategy, right? Yeah. Or when Walmart calls, that's the strategy. And the reality is, you know, until you can tell me what is your swim lane, who are you serving, who are you not serving, why would people choose you over somebody else, mm-hmm. uh, and and what are the capabilities you're going to be better at than anybody else to have them keep choosing you? Until you can tell me those things, um, you can't tell me that you have a strategy. Yeah. Um, and while I, I, I fully appreciate in your first year or first year or so, that might be a little bit fluid because you're still learning and testing and revising. At some point, you got to chuck the field yeah. uh, and, and declare this is who we are and this is who we're not. And yeah. I, think, I think for many entrepreneurs, that's torture. Yeah. yeah well, hope, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that this conversation that, that we had today would definitely really put the light bulb on. Uh, for so many people, because this isn't theory, this isn't something that sounds like it might be a good idea. This is, and I, I need to really need to reiterate the fact that this was a decade-long study with was it 2,700 executives? Yeah, yeah. So this isn't just a good idea that that Ron had. This is a long-term, 10-year study involving literally thousands of executives, um, and the, the results show that these these four principles are what made things work. So. I really hope you'll take this up and make it actionable in your own life and your own business as you as you listen to this. And you know, I suggest you hit rewind and start this episode from the beginning and listen again, um, <laughs> so it th- so so it can sink in. And, and as I said, uh, definitely, I encourage you to pick up Ron's book. Ron, I, I appreciate you sharing so much wisdom, wisdom that took you a long time to 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 just culminate and develop into these powerful principles that you use to 
to help the the biggest executives out there that are influencing thousands of people, thousands of lives uh, of the of the businesses, the shareholders, the consumers, and everyone. So I, I appreciate you sharing so much with us. Um, of course, as you know, this is a Unbreakable Success is a virtual mastermind. So if you're okay with it, I'd love to hit you with a few hot seat questions and uh, pick your brain for a couple minutes or if you're up for it. Go for it, my friend. Happy to do it. All right. Sounds good. So the first question I'd love to, I'd love to ask is, what is a what's a recent challenge that you've had in your business? It doesn't even have to be recent. But what's a recent business challenge that you've had <laughs> that you've had to figure out, work out, and how did you get through it? Well, I mean, maybe I'm still figuring out. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, earlier on, and I think I think it may have been before you hit the record button, but I talked to you. I, I jokingly said I don't want to work with sociopaths anymore, <laughs> um, but that wasn't just a joke. Yeah. You know, it was a, a couple of years ago. I, I hit a, a dark place where I realized I just cannot get up in the. I what I do is too important to me to get up in the morning to have to go get on a plane and go fly to somebody I don't respect. Mm. I don't think it's I don't think it's effective. Uh, I don't I don't trust them. Uh, mm. They're hurting people. Um, it, it was, it's just too soul sapping. I'm at a place in my career now where I listen, it's not that I don't think those leaders deserve help. Yeah. I just don't have to come from me. Yeah. Uh, and so I thought, well, why is it that at this point in my career, I still have not figured out how to attract the kinds of clients that I'm a good match for. Mm. <clears throat> and turns out it's because I didn't have a clue. I didn't have a clue how to do it. <laughs> and wow. so I thought, I thought, you know, Aaron, I thought I was doing all the things I was supposed to do as a thought leader and, you know, whatever, but I wasn't. So I hired a coach. I, I mm. thought I need help. And I, I asked for help Brilliant. and I hired an amazing coach and she is, has now worked with me for the last two years. And oh my gosh, I mean, you talk about taking your own medicine. She came back with a diagnosis, just like I come back to my clients with. Yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't pleasant to hear all of it, but it was certainly true. Um, and it definitely revealed that not only did I not know what to do, mm. I, I was so far cluelessly afield from what I should have been doing. It would have, in a million years, never have occurred to me wow. to have done some of the things she's had me do in the last couple of years. Certainly, I would have be talking to you right yeah. now yeah. if it hadn't been for her. And so, you know, it's it, it's been a great learning curve on how to, you know, we every business has to has to create demand, yeah. right? But how, how you generate demand for the right clients for you to have the right people find you is a whole other art rather than the spray and pray version of, gosh, I'm going to put something out there. hope somebody sees it and wants to call me. Yeah, wow. Um, and then get the phone calls from the people you wish never called. Yes. And so uh, it's learning how to create demand for the right kinds of clients so that uh, we can be the, you know, we're a small firm. We can't serve everybody. And so to try and serve the people we can be most successful with, we're still learning. I, I yeah. by, by, by far have cracked the code. But it is it was a challenge and uh, it was a dark moment a couple of years ago. Um that you know led me to the place where I you know and I I think I would tell every entrepreneur this my gosh don't be afraid to ask for help yeah uh, you don't have to go these challenges alone I think you made this point before Aaron you you don't have to have all the answers other people do too yeah and so gosh you know be welcome help that's I I love hearing that advice especially from someone like yourself Ron who has you're not somebody who is struggling and trying to figure out how to have a business you've been doing it for decades but I, I think and i know this is something as you said i'm constantly learning and i'm constantly sharing with other people no matter how far you you get no matter how far we get we're never going to know it all 
And the one thing that one of the beautiful and sometimes frustrating experiences as, as human being is, is that regardless of how good we are at sharing advice and giving phenomenal advice, when we're in the bottle, it's really hard to read the label. So <laughs> it really is. It's easy to look out, but to see what's and, and it sounds so, it sounds so counterintuitive, you know. And, and and I know I see myself making mistakes, and in hindsight, you know, I'm sure and I'm sure you've been there. You think, how the heck? What am I doing wrong? How am I? How am I not figuring this out? If I'm supposed to be this coach who's helping other people, but it's the truth. We need help, whether it's through, you know, one on one coaching or group coaching or some program. We all of us need support. And I commend you. Uh, I commend you. I thank you for sharing something that personal with with everyone, because I, I have I'm 100 percent certain that everyone at some point understands how it is. And I, and I really hope it helps alleviate some of the frustration that somebody may be feeling and help them make that decision like and say you know what i do need support and it's going to be something i invest in because it's necessary so thank you very much for sharing that so honestly oh, you, you bet i i would be and you mentioned it yourself that you you would probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't for your coach and i can tell you with 100 percent certainty you and i would not be talking if i had not invested in in coaching and and helping someone you know, read that label, so to speak, to me and tell me what the heck is going on right. <laughs> with my circumstances, because it's it's it, we all need it in, in some way, shape or form. So thank you. It, it's a gift. It's a it gift. I, leaders who are I tell leaders all the time who are struggling with the notion of, you know, um, we're, we're, listen, as human beings, we're, we're notoriously bad observers of our own reality. We yeah. can't. Yeah. Um, and I think we, we're created to not be able to see our own face for yes. a reason. Yeah, and so uh, I tell my leaders: Imagine if you were at a you know a, a a nice dinner party with your significant other, a very fancy evening, and you decided to leave a little bit early. You get in the car, and he or she turns to you and says, "Honey, you got a big thing hanging off the end of your nose. <laughs> yeah, get, get 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 it off. It's it's been there all night. Yeah, yeah, and." and 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 your first question, of course, is why wh- wh- you didn't? Why you tell me now? <laughs> yeah. Well, every one of us has things yes. hanging off our beha- off our behavior that yeah. we can't see, it's and everybody true. else is talking about them. So you should want to get in on the conversation. Yeah, I, I I remember when I was in a, I was in grad school, and the first time I saw the video from uh, Eric Schmidt, the the former CEO CEO of Google, he said said that the, he was being interviewed, and that somebody asked him, "What's the best piece of advice that you ever received?" And his answer was get a coach. And he was very honest that he was resistant to it at first and didn't understand why. But once he just let go and, and went through that process, you know, he said it, it hugely helped his career. So great advice from you and, and great advice from uh, Mr. Schmidt. So thanks mm-hmm. for sharing that. Um, yep. uh, second, let's flip the lens from the challenge to the triumph. What's something that's been working phenomenally for you in your business or personal life that really lights you up and makes you a, uh, want to share with somebody about what's been going mm. good. You know, I don't know if I'd call it phenomenal yet, but I would say after two years of working on this, um, I, I am very excited about some of the new fruits uh, of my labor and, fa- and some of my newer clients that ha- have come as a result of this work. So, Beautiful. you know, I've, I've written over 100 articles for Forbes and HBR. And mm. I think I'm into 50 or so podcasts. Wow. Um, and so, and so I, you know, I am facing out. I'm, I'm no longer just facing in. I'm now meeting some great people and having great conversations. Um, I've got two TEDx talks coming up oh, in beautiful. November. 
you know, so I, I wouldn't, I think I'd be loath to say I've hit, a, I've hit a stride by any means, but I think after two years of pressing into what, is, what does it truly mean to demonstrate thought leadership and set myself apart so other people could find me, I think I'm starting to understand that I've got a long way to go, but I, I, I get that if you're persistent, it does work. Beautiful. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I, and I'm, by no means am I surprised to hear it. I, and I, but I, it's good to see uh, good people making progress, especially on uh, when you as much work as you've put in to see you doing that. Where uh, I would love to hear you. You got to let me know. I'm self. This, I'm selfishly asking this. Got to let me know when and where the TED talks are, uh, so we can yeah. check you out. And, uh, so TED, TEDx TEDx Beacon Street. Okay. Uh, on November 18th, at the, and it's going to be very powerful. It's at the JFK Library in, in Boston. Very exciting lineup of folks there. Awesome. I just saw I just saw today that uh, JFK's grandnephew is on is on the docket too. So that'll oh, be wow. a lot of very cool. I'll, I'm sure I'll be doing a selfie with him. Uh, <laughs> and then TEDx Snow Isle, which is in North Seattle, okay. uh, TEDx on November 4th. Excellent, excellent. I'll make sure I and check they, them out. I, and both of them are live streams, so you can join them virtually. Nice. Mm-hmm. Excellent, good stuff, man. Congratulations on that. I know that's a big deal yeah. to get get that uh, get those TEDx talks under your belt. That's pretty cool. Thank you, Aaron. So, what's uh, what's next? Uh, third, my third question is: What's next on the horizon for Ron Carucci? Uh, it's got to be something good. I, I look forward to. Oh, it. I wish I had a. So you know what's so funny? Yesterday, my coaching session with my coach, she said to me, "So we need a big goal for you. Well, <laughs> we need to know what that next horizon is." And and because you can, I don't, you, you know, you you. I mean, you know this, Aaron. You can get yeah. complacent, can't, can't yeah, you? Absolutely. And so, so um, the the thing that I sense, uh, so the I sense the void. So yeah. every one of the books that I've written or the endeavors I've taken on to go learn. I, so I'm an I'm a writer and an author, right? So I don't make yeah. my living as an author, but I write to learn. I write on behalf of my clients to figure out some of the messes they're struggling with. I don't have a burning question right now. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I, you know, I think. Um, we had all that data we analyzed. Yeah. We, uh, we isolated all the individual leadership stuff to get the data for Rise into Power, but all of the organizational mess mm-hmm. in that same data set is just sitting there in a pile. Um, and there's a, I'm starting to feel the, I wonder what it says, itch. <laughs> um, and so I'm, I, I'm sure my firm is a little nervous about, oh, no, here we go again. <laughs> but there's a part of me that says it's, you, you can't just solve the individual leadership equation, right? There, yes. There's a there's a there's a context there's a there's yep. this messy thing called four walls a roof and a bunch of people yeah and when you put a bunch of people in four walls things are going to get weird yeah and so what do you do with that part of it and there's a part of me that's starting to wonder um okay we solved half the problem with the leadership thing what do we do about the rest of the organizational stuff and so i think um i'm getting ready to maybe go dive back in and find out beautiful man i'd love to hear that that's a big one that's a nice that's a nice big goal for you and i have no doubt Whatever you piece together from, it's going to be phenomenal. It's going to help a, a ton of people, just like your previous work. So I am going to thank you ahead of time for, for <laughs> what comes next. So mm-hmm. most important question that I can ask on the show is how can everyone, how can a person that's listening right now get a hold of you and support you and what you do? And how can they reach mm-hmm. out and get support from you? Uh, when they choose to do so. I would love to meet some of your listeners. Um, so they can come to my website at www.navalent.com. And if you come to navalent.com slash transformation, I've got a free ebook for you on leading transformation. So many of the stories I've talked about uh, in, the, in our time together, um, the sort of how we did it, 
is yeah. decoded in that in that ebook. So come and find out. You can find out a bunch of great videos we've done. All of our, we've got a great blog. You can, we do a quarterly magazine uh, called the Avalon Quarterly that has all kinds of fun stories about leadership and entrepreneurship and organizations. Um, there's uh, so come hang out. It's a great destination of content. Just found out today from somebody in Vancouver, Vancouver, Canada, that we got named one of the ten best websites for small consulting firms. Wow! I was shocked. Beautiful. Uh, so anyway, it's a great destination, lots of great content. Come hang out, and let's stay in conversation. On Twitter, at uh, Ron Carucci, C-A-R-U-C-C-I. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Come find me there as well. So lots of ways to get in touch. I'd love to hear from folks and find out what you're up to. Excellent. Ron, thank you so much. I'm going to definitely, everyone that's listening, uh, I'm going to make sure all those links to Ron's site, uh, his, his free ebook, his social links, uh, will be hooked up at AaronKeithHawkins.com. If you just go to the search bar and type in Ron, R-O-N, you'll definitely find a link to this episode with Ron and I, and you can grab all that good stuff and find him very easily. Mm. Ron, I got to take a second and, and, and thank you. I got to commend you for this multi-decade decade journey that you've had from all the way back from that time in Germany where you had that, that spark from listening to that soldier talk and to all the work you've done with so many people, so many organizations, thousands of leader, which you know means that there's multiples of thousands of people that are affected uh, by the work that you do. And I know, as we kind of joked about earlier, we sometimes don't realize what's going on with us. But I, I think in your case, you probably don't realize how much impact you've had on so many different families and lives, um, because that's that's what it's all about. I mean, business is isn't just about business it's it's about the individual people that are affected and yeah i, I gotta say thank you for the work that you do and and kind of highlight if i can for a minute uh that you that you're making a huge impact on people's lives and i and i admire and appreciate you for it so definitely thank you so much for your time for being on the show and sharing a ton of info and being so generous with us so uh, i encourage everyone to reach out to ron and support him and his work and definitely if you have any interest in consulting work, and we've already talked about the importance of coaching and, and having someone take a look at what's going on. So reach out to Ron because he's the guy to, to help you straighten things out organizationally for sure. So, Ron, any last parting words, my friend? Aaron, just thank you so much for having me on your show. It's uh, you know, I you're a good, good, kind man, and you're generous. I love that you're curating all this content. I love that you've lent you know from your out of your career in law enforcement, you've chosen to lend your voice to the world and uh, bring a different perspective. So I'm grateful for what you're doing, and I, I I'll I'll be cheering you on. Thanks so much, Ron. I definitely appreciate that, and thank you everyone for listening. Ron, we will talk to you again real soon for sure. Right. You take very good care of my friend, and we'll talk soon. Thanks for having me. All right. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ron, for sharing with us today, and thank you for listening to this episode. And we would love to know what was most important to you, what hit home the most. Uh, you can leave a comment and share with us. I promise you I'll, I'll continue to communicate with you over at AaronKeithHawkins.com forward slash 36. And let us know what was really important to you and felt most valuable in today's episode. Uh, as always, if you haven't subscribed yet, please make sure you subscribe to Unbreakable Success over on iTunes and do us a little bonus step and leave a quick rating and a review to let us know why this show is important to you. If you do that, you'll continue to get these episodes automatically delivered to your device and that would be pretty cool for both of us. So I can't wait to share with you next time. 
Until then, please make sure you keep taking care of yourself, take care of each other, and continue to create the best life of your life. I'm Aaron Keith Hawkins, and I will talk to you next time.